0: Good morning, morning. welcome to worship here at Northminster Church this morning, whether you are joining us in person or online, we are thankful for the gift of your presence here today. A couple of quick announcements for you before we begin. The first is to say a special word of welcome to anyone who's visiting with us this morning. We're glad that you're here and hope that you will participate in all aspects of our worship service, including communion. Uh, Everyone is welcome to this communion table. Uh, instructions for communion are in your order of worship if you need more direction. You will also notice, as uh, we have every week, the beautiful flowers on the altar this morning. As a reminder, uh, if you would, please let those who dedicated and to whom those flowers are dedicated have first take of those, and then uh, take some home with you to brighten your day or someone else's. Um, It really is a treat every week to see people leaving with the beautiful flowers couple of upcoming events to make you aware of. Uh, We are having a Halloween gathering next Sunday, October 30th. This is not just for parents and kids. This is for everyone. Um, We hope that you will come, and even if you don't have children, uh, spend some time with us having some fellowship, uh, maybe a hot dog and some games for the kids. There is a sign-up list outside of my office, um, so do please sign up for that, just so we know how many are coming and we can plan a bit better. Uh, And then on the 6th of November, we will have our new members and inquirers class. So if you are a new member or you would like to be a member maybe and have questions about Northminster, we hope that you will come uh, to that. That will be right after worship and lunch will be provided. Um, As a reminder, as you look at your order of worship today for our kids, um, if you will come up during the last verse of our opening hymn. And it's okay to go ahead and come up, so don't feel like you're going to get in trouble. And we will do the children's message together up here on the stairs. I also want to remind you about communion. Um, I think by now we have the the pattern down a little bit better. If you get lost, just make sure you're trying to move to the middle aisle, and that will make the flow uh, as good as it can possibly be. You will also notice that we have a very special guest with us in worship this morning. This morning wraps up the end of uh, the STAG lectures that several of you were with us for yesterday. So I want to introduce our guest proclaimer this morning, Reverend Michael Ray Matthews. Uh, Reverend Matthews has over 30 years of leadership experience from a variety of roles, senior pastor, grassroots leader, psalmist, and community organizer. He is the Deputy Director for Faith in Action, the host of the Prophetic Resistance podcast, where he engages multi-faith leaders in conversations about cultivating communities of belonging and sacred resistance to injustice. Reverend Matthews is the immediate past president of the Alliance of Baptists, which I know many of you are familiar with, and co-editor of Trouble the Waters, a Christian resource for the work of racial justice that was published by the Alliance a few years ago a visiting professor of public theology at American Baptist Seminary of the West in Berkeley. He is also a senior fellow at Auburn Seminary in New York. Michael Ray is co-founder of and public theologian in residence with Simpara, a multi-faith interspiritual community of practice repurposing spiritual assets for the common good. And I said this yesterday, and I'm going to say it again because I think it might be the most important part. From our conversations, I can tell you that uh, Michael Ray has deep Louisiana roots. He enjoys good redfish and bluebell ice cream, so you know that he is good people. We are glad that you are here, thank you. Now I'm gonna ask, as we do every week, for us to take a deep breath together. And we take this deep breath to center ourselves, to give our brains and our hearts a chance to catch up with our bodies. Take a deep breath. Let that root you, let that calm you, let that quiet whatever is going on inside you. As you breathe in, breathe out the love and the joy and the peace of this sacred space. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out the homework that might not be quite done, breathe out as many of those things that you carried into worship with you as you can. Breathe in again, know that you are loved just as you are by our creator. And then let us worship God together by joining in our call to worship. Children of God, it is time to take off your shoes. It is time to step out of our comfort Wade with trust into the stream of God's mercy. We will stand
1: still for a moment, barefoot on holy ground.
0: Let the healing waters wash your feet. Let us be present in this sacred time. Share this book with you? Okay. You're all are probably too old. This is probably too simple for you, but I think it's still a good story. This is called The Gift of Nothing. Okay? It was a special day. And Mooch wanted to give his best friend Earl a gift. But what to get him? He had a bowl, he had a bed, he had a chew toy. He had it all. Mooch thought and thought, what do you get someone who has everything? Nothing. (laughs) He would give Earl the gift of nothing. But in this world filled with so many somethings, where could he find nothing? Mooch often heard Frank say, there was nothing on TV. But as far as Mooch could tell, there was always something on TV. Have you ever heard your parents say that? Have you ever said that? There's nothing on TV? Mooch often heard Doozy and her friends say, well, there was nothing to do. Have you ever said that? <laughs> I'm bored, I don't have anything to do. Yeah. But as far as Mooch could tell, everybody was always doing something. Millie came home from the store and said there was nothing to buy. So Mooch went shopping. You see him at the store? All the things. Mooch looked up and down every aisle. He found many, many, many somethings. This last, this latest, this, and the newest, that. But as far as he could tell, Nothing was not for sale. So Mooch went home. And as he sat on his pillow and just stayed really still, as cats often do, and not looking for it, he found nothing. So he went and he got a box. And he put nothing in it. You see him with the little box? Then Mooch thought, hmm, maybe Earl deserves more than this. So he got a bigger box. (laughs) Now that, plenty of nothing. So so he wraps it up and he carries it over. And he gave it to Earl, and Earl said, for me? And Mooch, uh, Mooch, you didn't have to get me anything. Who told him, thought Mooch. Earl opened Mooch's gift. See him opening the box? (laughs) There's nothing in here, Earl said. Yes, Mooch said, nothing. But you and me. You see him together? So Mooch and Earl just stayed still and enjoyed nothing and everything. point of this book, do you think? Yeah, what do you think? stuff. Okay. What do you think? hmm Yeah. That's a really good way to look at it. That's really the point of the story is we all tend to have a lot of stuff, don't we? Do you guys have, like, toys at home? and things to play with, and TV to watch, and maybe like an iPad to use, something like that? Okay. But you have all sorts of things, right? But are those things as important as spending time with your friends? Or um, spending time with your mom or dad or your grandparents or your family who loves you? No. That's kind of the point of the book. And the other thing to think about is What can we give God, right? We're at church, so we should talk about God. What does God want you to give? What do you think? Friendship, okay. Happiness. What else do you think? What would God want you to give? Kindness, love, but does God want stuff? Does God want you to give your best pair of shoes, your favorite pair of shoes, Or, um, to give, get your birthday gifts. Would you give that back to God? You could. What do you think? God wants you to spread the gospel. God wants you to treat others well and to be kind and to be loving to other people. That's kind of the point this morning. I want you to think about that this week is it's not about the stuff that we have or the stuff that we give God. It's about giving ourselves. And who we are as people, and giving that to God and to others. Does that make sense? All right, good job. So here's what you're gonna. Good- yes, ma'am. Give it. Yeah. You couldn't hear her. She said, "God gave us life, so we need to give Him ourselves." That's it right there. Why do we talk after worship, okay? <laughs> you guys have all sorts of thoughts, and I love that, but we got to keep moving. So here's what we're going to do. I want you to turn around. I love how much you're thinking. That is wonderful. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say the first line of this prayer, then you're going to say it back, and you're actually in charge of this. You are leading this, but adults, you are welcome to join in. So kids, I need you to be nice and loud. Here we go. I see the face of God in you. See the face of God in you. The love of Christ comes shining through. The love
1: of Christ comes shining through.
0: And I am blessed to be with you.
1: And I am blessed to be
0: with you. O holy child of God. O holy child of God. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seats now. Mm -hmm.
2: Gospel, according to Luke. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Imagine two people going to the temple to pray. One of them is a Pharisee and the other is a despised tax collector. Once inside the temple, the Pharisee stands up and prays this prayer in self-honor, God, How I thank you that I am not on the same level as other people. Crooks, cheaters, the sexually immoral, like this tax collector over here. Just look at me. I fast not once, but twice a week. And I faithfully pay my tithes on every penny of income. Over in the corner, the tax collector begins to pray with eyes lowered away from heaven and pounds on his chest in sorrow and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now imagine these two walking back down the road to their homes. Listen, it's the tax collector who walks home clean before God, and not the Pharisee. Because whoever lifts themselves up will be put down, and whoever takes an humble place will be lifted up. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to
1: God.
0: This morning as we contemplate social justice and advocacy and what those things look like not only for us but for our community and for the world at large I'd like to share with you uh, not my words but some words from Reverend Andrew Wilkes who is a pastor a writer and an advocacy worker this is called one small step and it is a prayer for not knowing where to start regarding issues of justice. It felt very appropriate to me, and I hope it will so for you as well, so let's pray together. Loving God, we affirm that liberation is the divine intent for all human beings, everywhere, in every age, especially for those who are oppressed, minoritized, and exploited. So we ask you, Christ, to set us free to experience freedom, justice and peace. We commit to upending injustice, working alongside those who are directly impacted, and ask, generous God, that you supply us with the courage to realize liberation by interrupting injustice. We seek justice with discernment, rejecting the false ideal of having to know everything before starting anything. And we ask you, all-wise God, to help us distinguish between essential facts and non-essential perspectives so that we can take informed action for justice. Lord, we know that one small step to undo oppression is greater than an ambitious, undone deed. So please, Lord, give us the strength to begin the work and the stamina to complete it. Even on the days when we ask, where do we begin to fight for justice and liberation? We know, and we ask that you remind us, the answer is everywhere. In our homes and hearts, our schools and streets, our workplaces and public spaces, our churches and communities. For as the scripture tells us, for the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We know, as disciples of Christ, we are to undertake the spirit-filled work of pulling down the strongholds of institutional sin, structural racism, gender-based violence, and economic justice. Because as it says in Galatians 3, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male or female, for you, we, are all one in Christ Jesus. So this morning, we pledge to dismantle hierarchies based on gender, disparities determined by race and oppression in all its forms. With spirit-led determination and righteous resolve to be living liturgies, we affirm these words to one another. We will not rest until we are all free, until we are all whole, until we are all home. And we pray these things with trust and hope, and love for you our creator and our sustainer amen
2: from Micah. God has shown you what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This is a reminder of how we are striving to live. Thanks Thanks be to God.
3: Morning, Northminster. Good morning. It is a deep honor and joy uh, to be here in this house of worship and prayer with you today. It has been a joy to spend this weekend um, with friends who have become family. I bring you greetings on behalf of the Alliance of Baptists. Uh, specifically, I bring you greetings from our president, Robert Rinnick and from our co-executive directors, Carol Collins and Elijah Zayu. I bring you greetings from Faith in Action where I serve as the deputy director and on behalf of that organization in 25 states in the United States and four other countries, including the state of Louisiana, I bring you greetings on behalf of people in faith, people of faith and moral courage who are committed to organizing for justice. Um, and peace in our neighborhoods and in our world. And I bring you greetings from the Matthews family, Uh, the Matthews who spell their names with one T like me and those other cousins of mine that spell it with two Ts. Um, There are probably a couple hundred of us living just south of Interstate 10, anywhere from Lafayette all the way down to Morgan City. They don't sound like me, but they look like me. (laughs) And I bring you greetings uh, from California, where I live, in San Jose, and specifically from my household, where my spouse, uh, Danae, is at home watching us on YouTube. Hey, honey. (laughs) I am so grateful. I'm I'm beyond grateful. I'm, I'm honored. I don't even know how to think about what it means that I was extended this invitation to come and launch, help launch the Frank and Evelyn Stagg Lectures. It's been a great honor and I'm, I'm extremely grateful to Welton Gaddy, uh, to Craig, to D.H., to Jillian, um, to Kathy, to Hannah, to so many people, Joanne, many of you have gone out of your way to make sure that I felt welcome in this space. Um, and um, I can't believe my name's at the bottom of that song. Uh, <laughs> even a song? Come on, y'all. <laughs> y'all know how to make somebody feel good. Um, I think it's really important that this community remembers the prophetic witness of people like Frank and Evelyn Stagg. These are ancestors whose wisdom can provide guidance for us in the, in the days that we are facing even now. You've heard the Luke reading and you've heard the very short Micah reading and I want to invite you today to reflect with me on a theme that will close out my thoughts about that I shared in the lecture on yesterday and that theme is we have nothing to lose but our chains. Will you pray with me? Let the words of my mouth bring you praise. Let the words that I speak be seasoned with your love. things, O Lord, that I choose to say. Bring glory, not shame, to your name this day. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our strength and indeed, you are our redeemer. Amen. Now, previously on Prophetic Christianity, (laughs) we talked about two big themes yesterday, prophetic resistance and revolutionary love. And I argued that prophetic Christianity is the practice of prophetic resistance rooted and forged in revolutionary love. Part one of the lecture outlined prophetic resistance, and part two explored this notion of revolutionary love. Prophetic resistance was an opportunity for me to offer some definitions of what a prophet is all about. And one of the things I said yesterday was that prophets are the ones who speak truth to power and who speak power to the people. They call us into an imagination that is alternate to the dominant imagination operating in the social order. I talked about the provocative question that became a haunting question at the heart of what we in Faith in Action have been calling a theology of resistance. That haunting question is, are you a chaplain to the empire or are you a prophet of the resistance? We defined empire as the narratives and the structures that separate and oppress peoples. And we said that empire rests on at least three pillars human hierarchy, economic and ecological scarcity, and an isolating hyper individualism. I shared that confronting empire was about cultivating disruptive encounters and opening up our capacity to radically reimagine ourselves, our neighbors, and our world and then to take prophetic action together. We closed part one, thinking about the ways that our faith traditions can disrupt empire and cultivate beloved community together. And then with beloved community in mind, we unpacked the role of revolutionary love. And I said that if prophetic resistance is how we say no to empire or no to injustice, then revolutionary love is how we say yes to beloved community. Revolutionary love is this all-consuming love that transforms us within, between, among, and around. That is to say, revolutionary love is intrapersonal, it's in us, it is interpersonal, it's between us, it's institutional, it's among us, and it's cultural all around us. Prophetic Christianity pursues transformation at all of these dimensions. We are not satisfied with personal transformation that has no social implications, and nor do we want social change without profound transformation in our personal lives and our relationships, amen? Amen? we will go faster. (laughs) Revolutionary love makes resistance look like surrender. Resistance is not just struggling against injustice and hate, but it's also surrendering to the unfolding power of love already working in the universe, already at work in our culture, already at work in our communities, already at work in our very flesh. This kind of resistance and surrender makes solidarity possible. And that takes us to the theme and the gospel reading for today. Because I think the parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector teach us about surrender and calls us into solidarity. Luke says that Jesus tells this parable to confront arrogance and religious pride. The religious leader prays, God, thank you that I am not like those other people. And the tax collector prays, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Now, of course, we've been taught by church tradition to judge both of these characters rather generally. The Pharisee has developed a kind of reputation and stereotype for being self-righteous and hypocritical. A reputation, I think, that is more of a result of our modern interpretation of this particular parable and not necessarily the only narrative that the contemporaries of the, of the Pharisees would have levied against them or even in support of them. These were generally good, pious, religious people and respected as such. Jesus indeed is talking about his own, a part of his own people in this parable. And then we judge the tax collector for being a servant of empire, for being a sellout, for being a tool of the oppressor, for being a franchise of occupying forces. We would find it difficult to imagine tax collector as just another human being trying to make a living, trying to take care of their family. We don't complicate our assessment of tax collectors in the biblical text in the same ways that we know how to hold space for complications in contemporary characters on Netflix and Hulu like Don Draper on Mad Men, or Annalise Keating in How to Get Away with Murder, or Walter White in Breaking Bad. But I think, I think Jesus complicates both characters by helping us see ways that good, pious people can start to believe their own press. And by helping us see that even the most ruthless among us have a soft side, a vulnerability, a capacity to be self-aware and self-critical. It is with a snapshot of these two very different characters at prayer that Jesus drives home a powerfully important message about arrogance and religious pride, but also about humility and vulnerability. Jesus is trying to help the religious recognize the pitfalls of being overly pious so we don't lose touch with our shared humanity or our common frailty, or to lose sight of our collective need for grace, love, and acceptance. But ironically, this snapshot snapshot itself, read for centuries by the church, reinforces some stereotypes of both religious people and tax collectors, making it hard to resist our own judgment and boasting. I mean, no one wants to be the tax collector, a collaborator with empire, a defrauder of the poor. And no one wants to be a Pharisee, because they're not fair, you see. It is easy to get the very clear message of this parable. Don't be a jerk. But then immediately, we can become inspired by this message to be one to pass judgment, and take pride in our not being a jerk. This is one of those don't think of an elephant parables. And I think it's really an important parable for our times because we live in a context of depolarization in our society. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I mean, the lines have been drawn, have they not? The labels have been hardened, and we're all clear about who we are and who they are who us is and who them are. And it is really, really easy to fall into the trap of arrogance and pride. We can pride ourselves in the boxes we tick off as so-called progressive Christians. Equity for women, check. Inclusion of LGBTQ, check. Supporting the differently abled, check. Critiquing capitalism, check. A commitment to anti-racism, check, we've read all the books, gone to all the seminars, we preach, we teach, and we even march about it. But conversely, we are eloquent confessors that we have not yet achieved equity and inclusion and solidarity and liberation and true belonging. We develop liturgies and statements and covenants that reflect this, but even our confessions can become a source of pride. Look at how humble we are. At least we can admit that we are not perfect. And here is where I think the prophetic wisdom of Micah is critical. For in seeking justice and loving kindness, we are living into our deepest aspiration for redemption, healing, and liberation. But in walking humbly with God, we are recognizing that at the end of the day, all that really matters is our deep connection with the one who knows our sins and our griefs, our trials and our temptations. Our deep connection with that one that we cannot see that might even look like that nothing in the box. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Perhaps the invitation is for us to do less public praying about prophetic resistance and instead seek a a deeper engagement with a love that is revolutionary. This is why I love that Rumi poem that I sang to you all yesterday, for it conveys a deep longing that we have for union with the divine, that holy kiss on our cheek, that then calls us to close the language door and to open the love window, for the divine won't use the door, only the window. We may become prideful about our prophetic resistance and we may celebrate our commitment to revolutionary love, but they both require more of us than we're often willing to give. Saying no to empire and yes to beloved community demands reckoning with the Pharisee and the tax collector in all of us, but also an embrace of the Pharisee and the tax collector in all of us. It means saying yes to being in relationship with those who are different, who think differently, who believe differently, and that's the hardest part. If you're a black person or a person of color, if you're LGBTQIA, if you're a woman, trans, or non-binary, if you are considered poor or working class, if you are undocumented, if you live with a disability or a mental illness, you have plenty of reasons, a long list of reasons to say no to those who behave like opponents to your thriving. And the invitation to say yes may be hard if it means talking to and engaging persons or engaging systems that have caused you and your community deep pain. Yesterday I was asked during the lecture question time, how could I spend so much time leading a majority white Baptist community that despite its best intentions regularly reminds me of the deep, deep racism and anti-black bias at the heart of so much of what we do. I get it. It's hard and I think the wisdom of today's lesson is to surrender to the one who knows not only our pain, but also the pain that we've inflicted on others, sometimes across generations. Jesus told this parable in the central part of Luke's Gospel while on the way to Jerusalem where he would confront the very heart of the oppression of his people. He tells this parable among a series of parables on that freedom road, that long march to freedom. These stories and these lessons are intended to prepare his disciples, his followers, for the challenges that they will face them when they confront empire. And Luke relays those lessons to encourage new generations of followers who will also confront empire in their time. Many of my stories yesterday featured experiences and lessons emerging from the uprising in Ferguson and parallel uprisings in other parts of the country. And one lesson that has continued to stay with me and so many others from that season is a chant by Asada Shakur. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. We would chant this chant at ever rising decibels three to five times. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. The chant carried the fierce urgency of the moment that we felt and the deep longing for freedom and liberation. And it also emphasized that this struggle for freedom had some rules, namely, that we love and support each other. That this is the kind of fight where you don't lose touch with the solidarity at the very heart of the movement. If we fight for freedom and win, but still do not love and support one another, what have we really won? And are we really free? I love a chant that demands courage, but also demands love and support. I love a chant that wants freedom, but also demands solidarity. No one wants to get to the promised land only to discover that they are still in chains. Church, we get free together. Amen? Amen. Not alone, and not just our people. This is why the work must, con- must confront hierarchies and discount scarcities and heal isolation. We will not be by ourselves at the temple comparing ourselves to others. Nor will we be alone in seeking grace and mercy. Prophetic Christianity is a communal experience where we learn together to love our flesh and love it hard. Yesterday, I introduced some of you to the character Baby Suggs Holy in Toni Morrison's novel, Beloved. This grandmother, this healer who would gather the community of the formerly enslaved into a clearing in the woodlands outside of pre-Civil War Cincinnati. Yesterday I told you about the sermon that she preached, and today I want you to picture the communal experience of healing and celebration that preceded that sermon. I want you to hear how Toni Morrison describes the scene when the community is gathered in the clearing. She writes, After situating herself on a huge flat-sided rock, Baby suds bowed her head under their feet. Finally, she called the the women to her. Cry, she told them, for the living and the dead just cry. And without covering their eyes, the women let loose. It started that way, laughing children dancing men, crying women, and then it got mixed up. Women stopped crying and danced, men sat down and cried, children danced, women laughed, children cried until exhausted and riven, all and each lay about the clearing, damp and gasping for breath. And in silence, in the silence that followed, baby Suggs Holy offered up to them her great big heart. She did not tell them to clean up their lives or to go and sin no more. She did not tell them that they were the blessed of the earth or its inheriting meek or its glory bound pure. She told them that the only grace they could have was the grace they could imagine. That if they could not see it, they would not have it, End quote. And from there, Baby Suds begins that powerful sermon that we talked about yesterday on loving one's soul, one's flesh so deeply that the unlove out yonder can't even touch you. I love the sermon, but I love this moment of ritual practice and celebration that precedes it, this invitation and permission for children, women, and men to feel the full range of their emotions, to hold space for one another, for all the feelings, all the grief, all the trauma, and all the joys of this life. And then to be told that they are precious, not because they are sinless like the Pharisee, and not because they are justified like the tax collector, but because their capacity to imagine the grace they would need to live, survive, fight and thrive yet another day. This kind of grace allows them to surrender to the love of God already at work in the world, in their very flesh. This kind of grace frees us to cultivate solidarity with one another and with many others beyond us. This kind of grace allows us to become more than we've imagined possible, this kind of grace sets us up on a spiritual quest for a prophetic resistance that is deeply rooted in revolutionary love. There's an ancient story from the desert parents that speaks to me in this moment. Abba Lot came to Abba Joseph and said, Father, according as I am able, I keep my little rule, my little fast, my prayer, my meditation, contemplative silence and according as I am able I strive to cleanse my heart of thoughts now what more should I do the elder rose up in reply stretched out his hands to heaven and his fingers became like ten lamps of fire and he said why not become fire The invitation of a prophetic Christianity is to become fire. It is not to follow all the rules to a T. It is not to get it right every time. It is not to find that perfect community where everyone thinks like you do. It is the invitation to solidarity with others and surrender to the lover of our very flesh. It is an invitation to prophetic resistance that is forged in the fire Of revolutionary love. So, my friends, why not become fire? We have nothing to lose but our chains. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit. Give us the words that will bring new life Words on the wings of the morning The dark night will fade away If you speak to our hearts Speak to my heart, Holy Spirit A message of love to encourage me Lifting our hearts from despair, how you love us and care for us. Speak to our hearts, speak to our hearts, speak to our hearts.
0: of communion, we remember that this is a joyful feast of unity. Christ has gathered people around the earth to commune at this table and ones just like it all over the place. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. And so we gather at this table where everyone is equal and where there is always more room to pull up another chair. We gather at this table across political and economic lines in places of powerfully protected affluence and among the poorest of the poor, and we do this to share a meal and remember and celebrate the one who is the tangible heart of God. And so come. Come to this table with your doubts. Come with your hopes. Come with your inadequacies and your strength. Come, for this is a table where all are invited and all are welcome. Now if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father, who art art in in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on on earth, earth. night that he was handed over while at supper with his friends, Christ gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. After the meal, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat all of you. This is my body surrendered for you. And when supper was over, he took a cup, he filled it with wine, he gave thanks for it, and he shared it with them, saying, take and drink, all of you. This is the seal of the new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming. And whenever you do these things, remember me you. Mm-hmm.